uh, how is it you have kept your youthful looks while Dave has shown his age? And how often? Do, that's the wrong question. So yeah. That's, yeah, those are the ones you threw at you're me when top, I gave you the You're in top form. This yeah, here you go. Um, if you would, just tell us how you guys are doing, your family, your mother, your sons, and just bring us up to date as far as your circumstances. Well, we're, we're here in what would have been a normally scheduled uh, furlough trip, uh, which, of course, has dramatically taken a turn. Uh, we intended to be here till just shortly after Easter, but we've just learned, uh, in fact, early this morning, uh, that we basically missed all of the flights that would get us back to South Africa. So we are stuck with you. We'll stay right here at the church if you need us to, uh, if you'd like us to. Uh, we're stuck here probably for the next two months, it would appear. And that's okay. We're trusting the mm-hmm. Lord. That's not at all what we had, had wanted. Um, you, had, you had some churches over the last week or so. Everybody's shifting gears, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. Now, all of, the, all of the churches have canceled, obviously, their public services, and most of them are going live stream. Now, the question is, could we take an interview like this and send it on to those churches uh, where we would, norm- would normally have been scheduled? That's something we're looking at. So we're, we're adjusting, we're trying to get used to the idea. We're not sure where we're going to go next. <laughs> okay. uh, because, we, first of all, we don't want to expose ourselves unnecessarily. Right. Uh, neither do we want to uh, be a carrier, uh, potentially, mm-hmm. and uh, infect others. So we're, we're looking at all of the options, trusting the Lord, but uh, we're, 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 we'll wait on Him. And I did get the cue. What you just told me is behave because you might send this to other churches is the yeah. idea. So ask yes. good questions. Well, let, let, me, let me talk about my, uh, our family. I'll talk yeah. about my mother. Julie can sure. talk about our sons. But uh, my mother turned uh, 90 last week. Uh, she lives in Sedgefield, which is on the garden route, uh, just 25 minutes from where we live. She's in a retirement center. So she's in a safe place. Uh, she is a faithful member of the first church we started on the garden route. Um, and she is in, in good health, although she is uh, fighting a cancerous growth uh, in her mm-hmm. mouth. Uh, she's had cancer in her face uh, previously and has had radical surgery for that uh, just a few years ago. Um, but despite the, the, there's no more treatment that they can give. Mom is a, a, a wonderful, uh, saved believer, and uh, she's trusting the Lord through this. But she's in a safe place. She is still active. She's reasonably independent, um, and she's safely isolating herself right now, as everyone is, but she's fine. The boys? The boys are doing good, as far as we know. They don't communicate a whole lot, but they're both living in Cape Town. Jared's 32, and Justin's 28, so they both have businesses that they Jared has his own business, so he's just busy getting doing that. I think I lost my earphone. Here, let's just bring this back, and if you just want to... I told him I was not very skilled at this. That's great. He said it wouldn't fall off, <laughs> but it go. did. Um, but the boys are doing well, um, and just trying to keep on as long as they can in Cape Town, where things are just starting to shut down a little bit more there now. Speaking of which, what is the condition uh, for, as we pray for you guys, your mission field, what's the status with all of the pandemic down in your region of the world? Well, I think South Africa has only recently started into the whole thing because European visitors have have brought uh, the virus to South Africa. So the the, uh, transference of all of that is in the early stages. Mm -hmm. The government has put strict controls in place. Uh, and as far as we can tell, people are, are um, 
instructed to isolate themselves. Church services generally have shut down. Other businesses have shut down. So I think we're probably a week behind the United States in this, but uh, similar theme, similar anxieties and fears. I I was able this morning to look at uh, some of the uh, live streaming or the the, uh, published sermons from some of the churches in our network uh, in on, along the garden route today. So they're all complying and trying to do the same thing we're doing right here. And we in conversations have had some discussions about how in your region, because of the medical conditions and status, that this could be quite challenging and difficult for those individuals in your region of the world. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we live in a town, uh, Nisner, the town that we're, we're living in, has a population of 70,000. The majority of those people are uh, poorly educated and live in poor poverty circumstances. And so they live in close confines with each other. They travel in taxis, or hopefully they're not doing much of that traveling now. But uh, we heard on a news uh, clip that if if it breaks out in Niza, and there are cases in our town already, there are only four respirators at the hospital Mm. in town. So uh, I'm listening to the whole respirator thing here in the United States, which is acute, but uh, uh, multiply that exponentially in our circumstance. If this thing does break out, which it most likely could and probably will, um, it's going to be a very difficult time for the missionaries there to cope with what's before them. We're here. We can't do anything but pray and encourage from, the di- from a distance. So we sure. feel a little bit frustrated and maybe a little bit guilty that we're here and not there. Um, but this is God's will for us at this point. Um, some of our folk may not have met you f- before, okay, because mm-hmm. we've had transition. The last time I think you were with us was two years ago? Three. Three years Three ago. Years, yeah. So would you just back up a little bit and tell folk about how you got saved, how you ended up on the mission field, and what that that mission field is right at this point. Sure. Um, Shall I look at them or should I look at you? <clears throat> it's up to you. I'll look at you. Uh, the... You'd be better off looking at them. <laughs> well, that, that, is, that is true. Uh, first of all, let me say that uh, we really miss not being able to see you all at, uh, at Faith Baptist. We were really looking forward to spending the time with you, uh, but perhaps in another, in another situation we were able to do that. Uh, I, I was born in the country of Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe. Uh, I'm a fifth-generation colonial African. So my ancestors came from uh, Britain and from Germany uh, almost, uh, almost 200 years ago. And so that's, that's where I was born and raised. I grew up in a, in, in a country that thought it was Christian. It was very Anglican in its, uh, in its theology, uh, although we never went to church. But if you would ask me if I was a Christian, I would say, yeah. Um, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes, he died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. I could recite that kind of uh, religious answer, but I didn't know Christ. Uh, When I was 15, uh, an American missionary came to Rhodesia in the midst of a war uh, situation in our country, and God brought the gospel to hundreds of us. I came to know Christ, and I realized at that moment that even though I believed generally in the, in the truth that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, I didn't, hadn't realized he had died specifically for me and was looking to have a relationship with me. That changed my life, and I mm. came to Christ. 
Uh, as I was discipled and grew in the Lord, by the time I was 16, I really had a strong feeling that God wanted me in full-time ministry. Well, I had to finish my schooling, and then I had to do my military service. I was in the, in the Rhodesian Air Force right at the end of the war. And after that, I was free to leave the country. I came to the, the United States to get trained for ministry, and that's where I met Julie. She has a different story. Now you're no, that's from, where you met. You're from <laughs> Canada, right? Yes, I am. Yeah, my background is very different from Dave's because he didn't grow up in a Christian family. And my mom and dad really loved and served the Lord their whole lives. And so I have that kind of a heritage where they, they raised us to love the Lord, to find ways to serve him, to serve other people. And they encouraged me in, in missions. When, when I was still just a teenager, I felt like the Lord wanted me in Africa somewhere. And they never were negative at all, which is one of the greatest gifts your family can give you for people that are serving overseas. Just that there was never any, um, oh, we wish you were closer when we had grandchildren and all of those issues that put a lot of pressure on young families when they go far away. So I'm really thankful for that. When I went to university, I was originally thinking I might go to Kenya, and the Lord changed my direction in the few years I was in college through a series of events. And by the time I met Dave, I actually was already planning to go to South Africa. So I met him because of that interest, really. And um, he helped me with the project. So I sort of did ask him out. Oh. But it was... It well, was, oh, there this it is. is, this is on record. <laughs> that was supposed to be who chased who. Yes, she, she, she pursued, she no, I didn't say me. I chased him. I said I asked him out to help me with a project. I didn't run very fast. Let's and, put it that um, way. Yeah, and so, and it was actually, I was quite serious that I was going to be a single missionary at that point. So I wasn't looking to date, but we became good friends. And it was actually my dad that said, well, why aren't you thinking about this more seriously? Because you're going to the same place. And so it was kind of nice to have that from my dad to kind of spur me on in the right direction. And, yeah, really thankful. And later on in our ministry life, um, some of the people here will know that, that when we were in Cape Town for many years, when my dad finished his ministry in New Brunswick, Canada, they started coming to Cape Town for six months of every year and helping us with discipleship and pastoral leadership and things like that in our ministry there. So that was a real blessing to have my parents coming and, you know, to be influencing our own family as well as our church family yeah. and, and young young believers there. That was a real something you never think of when you leave. So Sweet. She brought up about the idea of, you know, years of different ministry. Just give the folk a brief history of your ministry and where you're at right now. Bring us up to speed. Uh, well, after our deputation and raising our support, we went to uh, Durban, uh, which is on the east coast of South Africa, to join a missionary team there. Um, they had other plans, however. By, by the time we got there, they had had a real burden to open up church planting in the city of Cape Town, which is uh, 1,800 kilometers away. Um, so that was a bit of a shock to our system. We were in our mid-20s, you must understand. We were really young, and uh, so they said, would you be willing to do that? Well, Sure, why not? Uh, but we certainly saw God's hand in all of that. So we moved to the city of Cape Town, which had a population of about four and a half million back then. Uh, and w- with the uh, aid of our missionary team in Durban, uh, we were encouraged to do a demographic survey of the northern suburbs of Cape Town. 
And it was an interesting time in the history of Cape Town because Cape Town was expanding uh, tremendously. This was still under the apartheid government, and I suppose the politicians had their heads buried in the sand, and we're still developing communities and so on around the, the large cities. Um, ultimately, you know what happened, apartheid collapsed. There was a, 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 a Nelson Mandela became uh, the president and brought sort of calm and stability to South Africa. But the demographic survey was quite correct. The, the growth was clearly on the, in, on the north side of Cape Town. And so we realized we ought to be building a, a strategy and a team of church planters for the ministry there. And so that's what we did. Uh, God blessed us with a, an amazing team. We're, we were young, but God brought uh, missionary families of like faith who were more mature, had more ministry experience than us. And very soon we, we saw churches springing up in all of the cultural, uh, economic, language groups in the city of Cape Town. And so there, there are many churches there now. One of our great focuses at that point was training up national leadership, of course, you know, we're involved in evangelism, discipleship, leadership training, and, and church planting. And uh, we had a great theological training program, and a, a generation of South African couples were equipped for ministry during that time and continue to serve the Lord, either taking over the churches that were started or they're in church planting themselves. So it's been a remarkable time. We thought we would spend the rest of our lives in Cape Town. And how long were you there? We were there for 25 years, although in the last five years we were commuting backwards and forwards to the new region, the Garden Route, on the, on the southern coast of, of South Africa, six hours east of Cape Town, a cluster of about six coastal towns uh, where there was a tremendous need. Now, Cape Town continues to grow. It probably has a population in excess of 7 million now. Uh, of those churches that have been started, probably 80% of them have South African pastors now okay. in Cape Town. And some of those have gone on to be church planters themselves. But uh, we realized that God was moving us, shifting our attention east of, of Cape Town. And so we started the first church uh, from a distance, uh, commuting twice a month eventually, <coughs> in the small town of Sedgefield. And it was a really small town, and, and strategically that didn't make sense. But... Uh, it, it doesn't sound like it makes, makes sense, but it made sense to us because it was right in the middle of two larger cities where we had the potential to uh, reach people, and that's really what happened. Eventually, the Lakeside Baptist Church in Sedgefield uh, sent the, the believers who were commuting in from George, sent them on to start the Agape Baptist Church, uh, and then in the east, eventually Julie and I moved to the garden route, realized we had to be there ourselves to help the team, and uh, we started the Lagoonside Baptist Church. And how long ago, what year was that that you were We moved in Sedgefield? 2009. We moved okay. to, uh, we actually moved to the, the village of Wilderness first, and then eventually we moved to Nisna, where we okay. probably are able to spend the rest of our ministry days there because it's a good location out of which, from which we are involved in the ministries along the garden route. So now we have eight churches in three towns underway. Four of those churches on the garden route already have national pastors um, in leadership, and we still see a potential for five, six, seven more churches uh, in, the, in two of those three towns, and then we've still got 
um, other cities and towns that could use church, churches planted. So uh, there's a lot going on, great uh, team. And we have, we've started on the garden route also a, a new pastoral leadership training uh, initiatives called the BLI, Biblical Leadership Institute. Some of you have met George Kuhn. I, I think George has, has he preached here. here. He's been yes. here. Uh, George has done a phenomenal job in building a relationship with a, with a private seminary in Johannesburg with, with which we have partnered, and uh, that's allowing our students to get their Bachelor of Theology degrees once they complete the program. So we're really excited about what God is doing. the students that are in that program with the biblical leadership, are they coming from those churches or from churches already there and they didn't have a training and education? What's the blend? That's, of that's a good question because, I mean, ultimately we, we want national leadership to come out of our, our independent Your, Baptist right. churches. Obviously we do. But, uh, but we're in early days. This is a pioneering right. phase of ministry in the garden. So a few of them are from our churches. But the other aspect to our in- initiative is to bring in as many uh, men who are... We, ha- we have a dynamic in, in South Africa. And this is something that the, the Christian um, churches around the country have, have recognized, that in our poor communities, in our rural communities, where a lot of um, Native African ministries, there's a great movement where they, they call them the, the independent uh, African churches. Okay. So churches just uh, emerge all over the place uh, in these poor communities with leaders who are not adequately ch- trained. So we'd love, love to influence some of those sure. good men who are, who are trying to do the best they can with, with absolutely no tools. We'd love to influence them theologically. So we're we're thinking our program is designed to reach out to them. So we have two levels. We have a pre-bachelor um, course, uh, b- bachelor degree course, and then we have a bachelor degree program also. So no matter what their education background, they can come into our, our training on any level. So, that, so we are reaching out more broadly than just Good. to our churches. Good. Student numbers that you're getting on a regular basis is that well, f- well, right now we handful. Only, yeah, we only have three or four um, full-time students in the degree program, but between the two levels of programs, we probably have another uh, twenty to twenty-five oh, that's students excellent. That's excellent. that uh, that are curious or starting to get their feet wet into theological education, mm-hmm. and we've just opened up uh, for the first time this past month in the city of George, the new, uh, the largest city on the Garden Route, which we can talk about in a minute, but uh, we've just started the BLI there, and we're hopeful that's probably going to be our biggest resource of potential students in that city. Uh, So we're really excited about what God has in store for us there. Just to help uh, individuals who may be listening, sitting in, uh, not familiar, uh, let's just back away from ministry for a second. Give us the the landscape of the culture, and because you're talking, we're going to be talking about different works yeah. happening to different yes. people. Give us a description and try to help everybody to understand what are some of the challenges culturally because of the diversity. Well, you know, South Africa is really a, a, a complex society. Uh, first of all, it, it's a country that has 11 official languages, so that should tip you off immediately mm-hmm. that it's quite complicated. 
And because of its colonial heritage, you have this amazing mix of colonial, well-established, many-generational colonial uh, families, and you also have the native Africans. Add to that mix migrant workers from India and from Malaysia who were brought into South Africa a uh, hundred years ago or more. Okay. And so it's, it's a very colorful cultural landscape, which uh, adds uh, lots of complexities. Of course, comes the religious uh, diversity there. But what's interesting about South Africa, let's just put all the cultural distinctions aside for just a moment, what makes ministry challenging for us probably more than anything else is the fact that most everybody you ask, are you a Christian, they probably would answer yes. That is because over the last couple of hundred years, denominational Christianity has had quite an influence upon our societies to the colonials as well as to the native Africans. So with the, with the colonial, the white population of South Africa, if we could just say it that way, everybody has been touched by some religious mm -hmm. background or other, which I suppose sometimes inoculates them a little bit against the, the true gospel, the simple gospel of salvation by uh, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Um, that, that is a challenge to us. So we, we're never quite sure when we're talking to somebody uh, in that demographic um, who would give acknowledgement that they're a Christian, they might even have some biblical knowledge, but somehow you're not quite sure if they've repented and believed in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, so ministry is long, uh, we've got to take the long-term uh, approach with people. So we walk a road, sometimes for decades. Julie and I have probably been ministering to some people over decades, and we're still not quite sure uh, are they truly saved or not. Yeah. Now, on the other end of the demographic, we have the, the African uh, tribal, mod they're modern, it's not, not, a, not, a, not a primitive tribal uh, landscape, but uh, modern Africans have also been influenced by this religious heritage the complication for them is that they still hold very strongly in many cases, in most cases, to their African animistic um, ancestor worship uh, so traditions. eclectic and blending the two. They, they, blend, they blend their Africanisms with their uh, religious understanding, and it brings great confusion. Mm -hmm. And everybody is generally quite polite in South Africa. They really want to please you, um, and they, they want to do... Well, they want to be religious, they want to be spiritual, and so it's very difficult to cut through those, those problems. And so you would think in a country like South Africa, which is fairly, well, up until this past week, has been economically strong, uh, has quite a strong cultural heritage, but then you have the first and third world mix, if that's even politically correct to say that anymore. You would think that ministry would you know, be exciting and, and dramatic, that lots of people would flock to Christ. It's not so. Um, they think they are, but we are not quite sure often what the evidence is of, of genuine spiritual fruit in the lives of many. So and, that's an obstacle to And us. then with that, I, you were saying, I believe, if I recall right, that because of the diversity of languages, that 
Yeah, the, the idea, although apartheid is gone and racial discrimination officially is not uh, in existence sure. in our country, you would hope that the, in the churches, the true Christian churches, that there would be more of a, a blending of the cultural groups together. That does happen some in the larger cities especially, but uh, it's awkward and, and challenging because of the very strong cultural mores on both ends of the spectrum. Uh, the, the European colonial heritage Africans hold very strongly to their Western style of, of, uh, of thinking and, and mm -hmm. lifestyle. Uh, and the Africans, although, that, although they've become quite modern and they, and they, they embrace a Western culture, they cannot let go of their strong African traditional beliefs and practices, which comes into conflict often with the other Western people in the country. So although the churches do not discriminate, they welcome some kind of a blending of the cultures, it is not, as, not where we want it to be. Someone has said to me before that it takes a hundred years to change a culture. Well, the change in South Africa is only about 25 to 30 years old. So we've got a ways to go before we can really see the culture of these two extreme uh, groups of people blending more in the churches. But, but, but there is no discrimination in the churches. So, so what we have to do is we have to reach people in their heart language as much as possible. Even though most people could speak English on some level, we have to reach uh, the Kosa-speaking people uh, in their appropriate language. We have to reach the Dutch or the Afrikaner. And the Kosa-speaking people are the... Oh, Africans, and that's, what, that's the largest tribe down in the south where we are, the southern part of the country. Remember that there are a dozen or more tribes, but Kosa is one of the biggest ones, and they're, they're the ones in our, in our area. Add to this, if I can keep going, add to this that South Africa has many illegal immigrants. Now, some legal who become illegal because they overstay their welcome, but they're from all over Africa. These are Africans who have come to South Africa because it's one of the strongest economies on the continent to earn enough money to live and to send money back to their families wherever they come from. Uh, I'm told that there are probably more than six million illegal immigrants in South Africa. South Africa has a population of 55 million. Add to that six million illegal immigrants, it does bring a lot of tension and difficulty to our economy. And often those expat Africans are in conflict with the South African Africans who feel that they are losing their jobs to sure. these, these ones. So they'll, they'll, they'll require less income, they'll, they'll, they'll work for less, in other words. So for us, ministry-wise, we have to minister not only to the colonials represented by the, the Afrikaner and the English uh, cultures, to the, um, to the Malaysian descent uh, populace in our country, to the Indian descent populace in our country, and then to the multiple African tribal groups. Um, add to that these expat Africans from all over the continent. Um, you have to pick and choose a little bit sometimes. Before we talk about how you picked and choose in ministries, let's just make uh, just one step further. And the economic differences. 
between these classes. Uh, extreme. You know, like in any, in any country where there is a, a first and third world uh, divide, you find that the, the poor get poorer and the rich get richer. So there is an evaporating middle class in our society. Not that it was ever that distinct anyway. So the poor people are becoming poor, and they know it. They feel it. They're, they're, they're frustrated. They're scared because they've seen what's happened through, uh, across the rest of the continent. And the rich are not really getting richer, but they're, they're hunkering down, and they're surviving, and they're protecting their, their wealth. Not that in some cases it's extreme wealth, but sure. they're protecting their little... Uh, safety uh, area, and some of those people are even emigrating out of South Africa because of the pressure the, that the struggling economy is putting upon them as the taxpayers, as the, uh, the main taxpayers. The, probably there are only about 6 million taxpayers in a country of 55 million, so they're feeling the pinch, they're feeling the pressure. South Africa is, is struggling politically, economically, socially, uh, in more ways than anyone really cares to say. So you come into that climate, you're in the, the Garden Route area, and you made some attempts to try to minister to different classes. Some of the things that you did in the past, like... No, we, had, we were helping feed kids in the township, so we had some of those initiatives going on where we'd go and help make the food and do a Bible study lesson. We, we've done that. We've, um, and we tried that in lots of different areas to see if we could find it. And we found out that the, a better option is for us to find somebody in there that's already doing that and help them to do it a little bit better instead of us being the presence up there. It wasn't working very well. Um, so facilitating somebody else? Facilitating somebody else. Who is of that cultural background? Yes, somebody who's okay. already doing, has a heart for kids in their community. There's a lot of kids that just kind of don't seem to have homes. They wander around, they live with extended family, or their own family works during the day. So they're kind of on their own that aren't getting adequately fed. What, what we tried to do on our own um, <clears throat> before our team was developed along the garden route, we're now finding that our team with all of their multiple skills and opportunities are filling in a lot of those holes and, and what we've decided is that we cannot embark on any uh, huge initiatives if I could say it that way into these poorer communities because it uh, we, we get it easily get in the way our yeah. western thinking can e very quickly get in the way so what we find is that if everybody does a little bit, much gets done. And so we all focus on where our gifts lie, where our opportunities are. As a, as a ministry team, we formed a nonprofit organization called Nisna Hope. You've, you see that on our prayer letters. We, mention, we, we talk about Nisna Hope. The government gives ministry entities like us a vehicle through which we can function in the country, and it's a, it's a tax-free, tax-exempt uh, vehicle for us. And so we rally around the, the Nisna Hope. Um, we're able to own property, and as you know, uh, your church helped us uh, buy the ministry facility right in Nisna, where our team operates from. And in that environment, we're able to do some things um, with, with more order and, and, and decorum, if I could say it that way. For instance, skills development, upliftment programs. Uh, our, some on our team have, have created what they call the launch initiative, 
And launch is a way to assist Neisner residents who are poorly educated, poorly skilled, uh, to equip them with computer skills and any other skills that are useful to make them more employable in the community. And by so doing, we use that as an evangelistic opportunity in their lives. So we're, we're giving back to the community as best as we can um, in this small way. We wish we could be doing more, but uh, resources and time and opportunity don't always enable us. Uh, but it, we're doing our best to try and bridge this divide in our town. 70,000 people, 15,000 probably are fairly stable. The remainder of them struggle in a hand-to-mouth uh, scenario trying to make ends meet. Um, we can't help all of them. We've, we've sort of tried some things. Some things have blown up in our face. We're misunderstood, sadly. Um, but we, we have to do something. We can't turn a blind eye living in a community like that. You've got to protect your own stability while at the same time sure. giving a cup of cold water to somebody. And I'm sure need. you've had the situation that if you help one person... Yes. Others have yes. become angered. Or in jealous. those kind of environments, there are a lot of jealousies. If mm-hmm. if you help one person, the the neighbor says, "Well, then you should be helping me too." So I, I'm not sure if I can. I, mm-hmm. I'm meeting sure. this need, but I can't meet all the needs. So you, a you lot do. Of tension and there's a lot of then, tension. Yeah. You do feel a little bit like you got to watch your back constantly, which is unfortunate because we're there not not to socially uplift, we're there to bring the love of Christ and share the gospel and to see churches established in South Africa, but you can't do one without the other in that environment. You have to help those whom you can help. You cannot turn a blind eye, and, and that becomes a, you know, it's a very, very difficult um, balance to maintain, and yet that's where we are, and that's what we will do, and we'll keep trusting the Lord to use it for His glory. Um couple of the very things that I really admire about you folk in your ministry is your discipleship aspect, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but how you facilitate hmm. and help others. That brings me to the question about the knives and the team. If, just, if you would just give a little bit of the background and what's the status of the, uh, the, the structure of the team, where it's going, and what your plans are. All right, so although we work along the garden route in three towns, um, uh, we focused about four or five years ago on the town of Nisna. Julie and I were the only ones there. We had helped to start a, a church in the township with somebody, and they called uh, their own pastor, Nicholas, uh, who's doing a great job there. Uh, so we had the Lagoonside Church, and we had my father's house, Baptist Church, running uh, in our network. And uh, we realized we, we're not making any headway. Uh, there are opportunities in this town, and, and it's, every town has its own distinctives and unusual aspects, and NISA does in particular, and I don't want to get into all of those, but I realized that we needed more help. So I wrote a, a vision statement called the NISA Hope Notions and appealed to uh, North America for any missionaries to come and help us. And God blessed us tremendously with five or six couples very quickly in short order who raised their support, and most of them are on the field now These helping are us. Dis- different age groups? They're all younger than us. That's all you need to know. We, 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 we are the old people on the well, team. Well, that just stands <laughs> to reason. <laughs> yeah, we've got some in their 20s, some in their 30s, some in their 40s, and we're in our late 50s. So uh, you want to know how old we are? We're 59. There we go. It's out. It's out. <laughs> so that's... Um, 
that is, uh, uh, so that's the team. So what, what, what is our goal with the team? Our goal, it's all about relationships, Pastor Wayne. If you want to know what our strategy is, one word, relationships, meaning because of, as I've described to you, the religious heritage of our country, mm-hmm. uh, any type of cold calling, any type of um, confrontational evangelism really isn't effective, and we found that out many years ago. You have to disciple people to Christ. Then you disciple them in Christ. You disciple them for leadership. Our ministry is all about relationships, building relationships on every level, helping the person before us to take the next step in their spiritual responsibility before God. And so to have a team uh, around the vision of Nisna Hope is all about building relationships. And I've told him, don't come and hang a shingle and uh, think you're going to start Sunday morning worship services and people are going to flock to you. There are plenty of churches in Nisna. It's not about the churches. It's about discipling people to Christ and in Christ. And so build relationships, redemptive relationships. Uh, and that's what our team have come to do, and, and um, most of them have, uh, I think they get the idea, but they struggle coming from the North American. Uh, well, we're very program-oriented. Exactly. Yes. Uh, but but I, I believe we're seeing some headway, and there have been some great advances in that way. So the idea is the more missionary families we have, like in a city of 70,000, who are touching lives along the the slow trajectory towards Christ, the more effective, the better uh, stewardship that is of our time and our effort for for the time that we still have for ministry in NISA. And during that time that you've been adopting this goal and going, how has the Lord been prospering the works? Are churches being established? Yes, but it's a slow grow. I I would love to be able to say we're having an enormous success and half the town has come to Christ. we would love to see that, but no, that, that, it's, not that, it's not that simple. But I can tell you that all of our team families are touching lives uh, in multiple ways, more than Julie and I could have done on our own. Mm-hmm. So the evidence is, we have four churches uh, in, in Nisna. Two of them now have their own pastors. The, the church in the township, Nicholas Mufakani, he was the first one. And then in this past year, we've handed over the Lagoonside Baptist Church, the church we started, to Pastor Wayne Schmidt and his wife, Kirsty. And so they're, they're continuing on. And two, four of our other missionary families on the team have started, are starting two other churches. They're teaming up together. But that doesn't tell the whole story. By the, by the hundreds of people we are all touching in town mm-hmm. with the gospel. Now, what that looks like 10 years from now is going to, we're going to have to see the evidence. But clearly, everyone is working hard, trusting the Lord, engaged in people's lives, living sacrificially for the gospel. And, and you're providing training on top of that for others who are in their works as well. Yes, yeah, so, so, we're, so we're trying to reach out to the South African pastors. Uh, and trying to equip them, better equip them, and encourage them, and challenge them, and help them. And so we're often in their pulpits, helping them, and or in their leadership meetings, helping mentor them to do better in, in their circumstances. So there's a lot happening under the surface that cannot really be com- communicated through a prayer letter. 
Yeah. Because of confidentiality issues and, and other things. And so we feel a bit frustrated. Um, and for that reason, we believe that, that pastors from the U.S. ought to come and visit, spend, uh, you know, seven to ten days. Come and observe. Come and get a feel. Meet the team. See what's going on. See how lives are being touched. Uh, it is a un- unique team. It is a unique environment. And God is doing something very unique along the garden route that, that you'll come away better able to express to your church family what missions is, what you have contributed so greatly towards all of these years uh, along the garden route. Thank you for the invitation. You're welcome. Anytime. But you must That's bring your wife. That's not what you said in you, private. But no, 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 you, know, you must never come alone. You've got to bring your wife. Absolutely. So make sure that Absolutely. that happens. It'll be look, and and I and it's not a, it's not a tourist trip. We'll have you minister while you're there, but you'll also be ministering to us and to the other missionaries. Absolutely. To see a pastor representing a strong ministry like Faith, um, representing them to us, representing your church sure. to to our team. What a what a tremendous blessing that would be. So I, I, that is a sincere invitation to you. And we sincerely want to come. If you can, uh, give us an idea of your, your participation, what you do in those types of ministries and well, activities. Well, I've always had ministries with women, discipling women, encouraging women. Um, and in the church environment, there's music and there's kids' things, and so I'm involved in that too. But mostly it's... Um, in trying to mentor women and encourage them in their walk with the Lord. And so we're always trying to build new relationships with people because it takes such a long time. Um, and hoping that they will get to the point where they really want somebody to get in the Word with them. And, but it's a long process. Um, we started some things, uh, I think, was it three years ago, Dave, that, that we had those knives in the fires? We had a we had major fire issues in our town, and so there was a lot of devastation, and people were struggling. And so I I helped with to spearhead a couple things to help women to provide things for them. But really, it was just to build contacts. And through that, I've got a few people that I'm really praying about going the next step. So I I regularly have coffee with somebody, just try to talk to them a little bit about their spiritual life, get in a few things about the Lord, and hope that the next time it'll go to the next level. Um, But it's a long process. So um, continually we're looking for new people to disciple, to to Christ, and we're looking for more leadership too, to train more leadership. So those are the things that um, take up a lot of my time. the other thing is because our team has grown quite a bit the last couple of years, we knew that we would have to do a little bit more team things. We are the oldest so you're on the team. You're mentoring people. Yeah, to yeah. mentor, we've got some young families. We've got grandchildren by default since our sons haven't gotten married or given us ch- grandchildren. So that we've got the grandchildren mm-hmm. on the team. So we help out a little practically, but just to come alongside um, with, you know, whatever... Other things the team needs, we're sort of helping with as well. So there's, we're always busy, like like you know, sure. in ministry. There's always something going on. I've been helping um, to play for an a cappella choir practice time, um, which has been an outreach mm. of one of our team members. She's got um, an additioned choir that she set up a little program. So the past year, I was. It's one of the hardest things I ever. Did. You would think an acapella choir, how hard could that be? I thought it was going to be a breeze, but 
this past year, that's been something that's taken a lot of my time. But they're starting to see a little fruit by a Bible study with this lady and, you know, different, different opportunities that are coming out of that. So, yeah. We You're just, busy. Yeah. You do have a video. But I do have another question. See, you can give me some guidance on what you would like to do. Uh, your goals, projects at this present time. Let me just quickly, the big thing for us is the George, Inspire George church planting team. I think let's, let, let me just address that. Sure. Let's show the video because I think the video will give perspective on Neisner, mm-hmm. not, on, not yeah. on George. Julie and I have been leading some folks to George, uh, to the Lord in George uh, over a couple of years. It led to a, uh, a Sunday, a twice, twice a month Sunday Bible study of uh, discipleship with these folks in George. So we would do whatever we had to do in Nisner or Sedgefield, and then we would go to George on a Sunday and minister to this group. The Gaimans, Troy and Danielle Gaiman and Rod and Tina Poplin, two other missionaries on our team in George, um, have, are helping us with the Life Fellowship, which is a church planting opportunity. In that time spent, and we're trying to build the George Church Planting Team, we're recruiting some others to come and help us there. We're starting the BLI, the Biblical Leadership Institute there. We realized we needed a ministry resource center like we have in Nisna. So we went looking for a house, just one house. We're thinking $150,000. That would be a believable amount of money to be able to raise to purchase something that would give us a, a center in the city of George. George has 300,000 people. So you can, you can understand the power and the opportunity there. Uh, anyway, long story short, we came across a property, but the condition was we had to buy the adjacent property also. So instead of it being 150000 they wanted $420,000. We got them down to $302,000, hmm. which was amazing, wow. with 18 months to come up with the money. Well, within two weeks... We had already, God already provided $150,000 mm. to close on the first property. And uh, then we had the, also the deposit, the town payment for the second property. And uh, so we've been trusting the Lord for that remaining amount of money. By the time Julie and I arrived in the States um, six or seven weeks ago, we still needed $93,000 or 95000 if you add the costs. But... Um, Within a few days of being here, we get a letter from one of our supporting churches to say, oh, by the way, we've been meaning to tell you, we voted to give you $50,000 for that project. It's like, whoa, praise the Lord, which left us only 40000 or $45,000 uh, to, to get. Um, well, in the last week, we've been promised another $10,000, so we're down to $35,000. And there's a sense of urgency, particularly with, with what is happening sure. here um, and around the world with the virus, uh, to get this thing closed and get this property sorted out. Um, so we're trusting the Lord for $35,000. The exchange rate to transfer money from the United States to South Africa is exceptional right now in our favor. We're not sure how long that's going to hold. I fear that the South African government may revalue their currency under the circumstances. So the quicker we can get the 35000 there, the better it's going to be. So we're trusting the Lord for that. That's something we still feel is undone on this trip because we're excited about what God is doing in the city of George. That's our focus probably for the next few years. We're still involved in Nisner. We're still involved in Sedgefield on some level, mentoring the pastoral team there. And we're very much involved uh, in the city of George. And that's the way our life's going to look for the next few years easily. Any special pressing prayer requests? 
I pray that God would give us wisdom to know, look, it's, it's easy for the government here to say, stay in your homes. We don't have a home. Uh, we have a rental vehicle. And so our schedule has completely been wiped out. We were counting on the offerings uh, as we travel to pay the expenses. It looks like we've missed the, the, the remaining uh, flights out of the country. It looks like we're stuck here for at least two months. Please pray. Uh, look, we're trusting the Lord. He, he, he provides for us. We're not anxious. Um, but pray with us that God would give us wisdom as to know how to proceed to be prudent, uh, to be careful, and uh, trust as we trust the Lord for the next step. Is it okay if we take a break and then do the video as part of our Perfect. introducing uh, uh, you to the next service?